Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How's That the Cricket Podcast with me, Josh and Lil. Hello. Now we are back, and there is more cricket. <laughs> there's never, there's never no cricket. Yeah, <laughs> it's always on somewhere in the world. So the fair break tournament has come to a close, and it's been it's been brilliant. It's been really interesting to watch. But we'll just go over the two finals just mm. to um just to recap them quickly. So there was the third place playoff. So who was playing for the bronze medal? And that was between our Barmy Army and the Spirit. But unfortunately, the Spirit took the win on that one and the Barmy Army placed fourth. So Sophia Dunkley, though, was player of the match with 123 not out. Whoa. And two for 35 off four overs, which is um, it's pretty, pretty spectacular to have a, a match winning century there. But credit to Deandra Dottin, who also made 111 off 53 for the Barmy Army. Um, I thought that might have drag them over the line there but um unfortunately not oh they two amazing innings there that is that is quality right there so credit to both teams there really yeah and look josh i i have to be i have to say i was meaning to say this beforehand but this is the first time the people need to take this in and i'm taking this in because this is mm. the first time and the only time you were ever going to say you support the barmy army so yes that is very true um <laughs> I do I'm love the Barmy sure. Army, though. I mean, of course, they are absolutely amazing. But, yes, I absolutely <laughs> actually being a part of something Barmy Army, yes, I don't think it will happen again. No, I don't think so. So everybody take this in because, <laughs> as you may know, Josh is a extreme Australian fan. So to um, to hear him say that he's supporting the Barmy Army is an interesting one. And, yeah, I've definitely um, enjoyed hearing you go, yeah, go to the Barmy <laughs> Army. <laughs> it has been good. So just the grand final, it was the Tornadoes versus the Falcons, two really strong teams going into it. But I think the Tornadoes were the underdogs because the Falcons had done so well the entire tournament. Um, but weirdly, uh, Marazan Cap got player of the match, even though she was on the losing end. She got 67 not out and one for 33, which is strange. But on the winning side, on the Tornado side, Divine, 51, Callis, 44, Taylor, 34 not out, and Sunelu's 18 not out. So some decent scores there. None of them did score high, but they did still win. So it was strange. That's very interesting. Yeah, because I thought maybe Sophie Devine would get it because 50 run chasing, that would be very good. Yeah. yeah. And that is a match winning knock. So, yeah, that, that is a bit of a surprise. Um, very odd. So that that is interesting. It is very interesting, but... Yeah, like we said that, um, so the Tornadoes won there and our very own um, podcast guest, Stair Callis, was the inaugural fair break winner. So congratulations to the Tornadoes. It's been a brilliant tournament to watch. Next year it is in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, but like I said, brilliant tournament and super excited to see it take off even more next year and see who they can bring in. Hopefully we see some more Aussies, maybe the next level up of Aussies because I do think it is strange. Now, this is quite controversial, but I do think it is strange that you didn't have your Meg Lannings, Alyssa Healy's, Elise Perry's when all the other countries had their top tier players. So you had your Heather Knight, your Sophie Eccleston, Sophia Dunkley, New Zealand, Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, Katie Martin, South Africa, Sina Luz, Marisan Cap, Laura Wolfart. Where's Perry, Healy and, and Meg Lanning? So I think that was strange that it, you know, good on... Elise Villani and Nick Carey and, and Jade Allen, Grace Harris. But where is that top tier level? Which is um is the question. Good point. Um, 
Yes, especially when Susie Bates and Sophie Devine went over, why couldn't we send Alyssa Healy, Elise Perry? Um, Very good question. Hopefully we can see bigger people in there, maybe a Talia McGraw or Amanda Jade Wellington, maybe head over. Yeah, it it was something that I was just kind of questioning the whole time, and I'm sure there is a reason. Um, I don't know whether it's just them purely having time off, but... That's probably why. I mean, you had the World Cup. Um, but then but again, the, the, I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the other night, yeah, yeah Heather Knight, Susie Bay, and yeah, it's just like there is no excuse, really. <laughs> no, I do think it is super interesting. And if anybody knows anything as to why, please let me know because I'm very, very intrigued as to why there's no um, top level Australian players. But good on the ones who did go over, and um, they did very well. Yes, it was awesome to see them. Good to see them get experience as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the Fair Break Tournament. Now, next up, just before we jump into our guest, there is the Charlotte Edwards Cup, which is happening over in England at the moment. But it's split into two sides, Group A and Group B. So in Group A, it's Southern Vipers, Thunder, Northern Diamonds and Lightning. And then Group B is Central Sparks, Western Storm, Sunrises and the Southeast Stars. So that's the two groups and they just play each team a couple of times um, within the group. And then the finals, obviously... You know, you progress. I forgot to mention that I am a bit of a Southern Vipers fan. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I love the name, the Vipers. And Amanda <laughs> Jade Wellington did play over there. So I was following her progress when it was the key of Super League, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so interested to see how the Vipers go this season. Yeah, so, well, there you have it. Josh is um, supporting the Vipers. Where, on the other hand, I have to be supporting the Central Sparks because they've got a pretty superstar team. But, yeah, so Group A, the results, uh, there's been two games per group. Vipers versus Thunder. The Vipers won that game, so you'd be happy with that. Um, Maya Boucher there, who had the the star performance of 48 not out. So, yeah, great to see her doing well in that game. And then we also had the Northern Diamonds versus Lightning, and the Northern Diamonds won that game. Um, Holly Armitage, who is captain of the Diamonds, also former podcast guest, she got 40, not out. So that was brilliant to see there. Lauren Winfield-Hill was actually, she got 96. So just shy of a hundred there. I would rather get out under 95, I reckon. 95 and under, I think I'd be happy with, but not anything above yeah, it's just too harsh, isn't it? You just wish it's like, very harsh. more runs. Yeah. I mean, I would feel more like they say 94, you're with one stroke away. I'm like, well, I'd back myself to hit a four than a six. So I'd feel yeah. more gutted if I was 96 than 94. So, mm-hmm. And then um, also playing against the Diamonds in that game was um, most recent podcast guest, Piper Cleary, who took one wicket. So that's great to see them do well there. And then moving on to Group B, we've got the Central Sparks versus Western Storm and Central Sparks won that one. Quite comfortable win as well, actually. It was by 20 runs and it, it was looking not like that um, throughout the game. The Sparks weren't looking too great, but then they came back and um, put on a really good performance with Amy Jones, 52, and Abby Freeborn, also 52. So it was Abby Freeborn's debut with the the sparks as well because she's actually played for lightning for quite some time so yeah that was good to see her do really well there and then bowling wise is he won two wickets and then the wickets other than that were just shared out pretty evenly um across across the team there um and sophie luff for the western storm made 43 runs so she was um 
looking quite dangerous at some points. But then Gwen Davies took an absolute screamer to dismiss Sophie Laugh. It was such a brilliant catch. I'm sure there's replays all over the social media. And then finally, we have Sunrises versus Southeast Stars. And Southeast Stars won that game. Yeah, that was another confident win by the Stars there, um, winning by six wickets with 19 balls remaining. So, you know, no no runs over 26. Um, Cordelia Griffith from the Sunrisers got the high score there. But then Ailish Cranstone from Stars got 56 not out. So that was a, a pretty big match-winning knock there as well. Um, but yeah, that was the Charlotte Edwards Cup game so far. And look, um, there are other podcasts out there who know a lot more about English cricket than we do. So we will just be recapping games. We won't go too much in depth. <laughs> Shout out to Norse Child Podcast, who is yes very big on the English cricket side over there. If you are listening to this and you do want to hear more about the English cricket setup, that is definitely the one to go and listen to because they know a lot more than us. The games are live streamed as well. So they are all live streamed on the home team's uh, YouTube channel, I'm fairly sure. So it was a Western Storm home game. So it was streamed on the Western Storm YouTube page. So that's where I watched it. Um, if you can't attend the games, you can watch it on YouTube. Um, but should we move on to our guest? Yes, a very exciting one, which was so awesome to chat to. He's such a great guy. Loves his cricket and he's doing fantastic work at St. Peter's College. His name is Johan Botha. So we won't say anything else. Have a listen, guys. Enjoy our interview with Johan Botha. They've both gone up and the finger as well. So there it is. Johan Botha in his last over has struck. He's smiling again. He's picked up his second. One more left of his spell. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Could you just start off by talking us through where you are at the moment and what you've been up to in terms of cricket recently? Sure. So, yeah, since the start of this year, I joined St. Peter's College as head of cricket. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, it's obviously not a professional setup. Um, where, like in franchise cricket, which I've done mainly as a coach. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit different from that point of view. But, you know, still, it's a challenge. It's, it's good to be at home for, you know, way more time than, I, than I'm used to. Um, and yeah, it is a good time to be home. You know, the kids are sort of 11 and nine. Um, so yeah, good, good to be home and, um, yeah, but it is a little bit different to before. You're just coaching school kids rather than professional cricketers now. <laughs> Must be quite a big change. Yeah, it is a change. I suppose with, with franchise cricket, it's obviously shorter. Five to six weeks is a tournament and you sort of have the power to pick a team that you want or build your team around certain strengths and weaknesses of the team. Where with schoolboy cricket, it's, it's basically who you get. And that's certainly the case at St. Peter's College. You know, there's no real cricket scholarships um, being handed out. So it, it is who you've got and you've got to make the most of it. So I think that's the challenge, which is a nice one at times. Um, but yeah, they, you, obviously you lose games and you've got to work through that and you know, hopefully we can, over the next two, three, four years, um, strengthen that program and, you know, become one of the, the better programs in, in Adelaide and hopefully Australia. Well, they've got a, a good upper hand there with having you as their coach with all the experience you have under your belt. So it's looking <laughs> like a strong team there. But um, could you just take us back to the very beginning of your cricket career and just talk us through how you first got into playing cricket? Yeah, sure. I, well, I've got an older brother and sister, and um, they used to play backyard cricket. 
and I was quite a bit younger. Um, so yeah, basically to start with, I was just a fielder. I didn't get a chance to bat, didn't get a chance to bowl and would just collect balls and sort of that's how it started. And even after that, when sort of they left the house, um, you know, every Saturday, my dad would drive around to all the club grounds and my bag would be in the car, but same thing again. You know, I was sort of 10, 11, 12. And if someone didn't pitch up, I would be on the field, but bad 11, didn't bowl, but I would still field. And I think that's sort of where the love for fielding has come about and sort of something I've always, um, I wouldn't say paid interest to, but, you know, I, I really pride myself on my fielding. Um, and I think it started from back in the day. So that's how it really started. And then probably from only 12, 13, you know, I got into the game with the bat and with the ball. Um, and then from there on, you know, you play representative cricket, you go to high school, play, you know, for your state underage and then South African schools in SN and 19. And, you know, that's where you start touring and playing against, you know, some of the best age groupers in the world. And, and you know, from there it was professional cricket. Yeah, you kind of touched on it there a bit. Um, yeah, so what was the South African pathway like um, when you started playing and uh, compared to now, really? Um, I think it's still very similar um, where obviously in South Africa, schools cricket is the thing where, you know, I find in Australia, even at St. Peter's, there's a lot of clash with, with great cricket. Um, so the boys, I wouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them would rather go play great cricket. And um, I know some of the schools we play against, if you don't play them on a Friday evening, you don't play against their best team because on a Saturday, the better boys go and play great cricket and you play against basically half the team. Um, when South Africa, it was schoolwork cricket and that was it. You know, there was no other option. You play against the best players, the best schools. And for about two or three years, my school team played in the men's A grade. Um, because we had a really good team. So it just worked out. So on Saturdays, we'd play schoolboy cricket. And then on Sundays, we would play in the A grade. Um, and that was great experience, you know, for, for young guys to, to compete against the men. It was a challenge at times, and, and, but we had a good team. So I don't think they always enjoy that we beat them sometimes. But um, yeah, that, that was the way. So you sort of make your way through there. Then it's... Um, state underage stuff and then you go to a carnival which is the same year uh, but that's usually early December and at the end of that the South African schools team gets picked and if there's a World Cup the following year the SN19 team gets picked um, so I went through you know both of those stages and then sort of just after school or two years after school for me I went to the National Academy which you know is similar to, to Brisbane is in Australia or Adelaide back in the day. So, you know, that's uh, sort of the pathway that I followed into professional cricket. That's super interesting because it really is quite reversed here. Like you mentioned there, mm -hmm. it really is like the the school cricket is just like an extracurricular thing that some boys yeah. choose to do. And it's not even a thing at my school. So that's really interesting to hear that that was the main source of how you played your cricket. Hopefully we can get a bit more um, school cricket going and hopefully say, because yeah, can lead that. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a few of the schools now getting into the system do get frustrated with it because like a PAC, they've obviously got a very strong team. 
Mm. And their boys are forced to play schoolboy cricket. And then they play against some of these schools that let their boys play grade cricket. They bowl them out for 60, knock it off in 10 overs. And then the rest of Saturday afternoon, they got nothing to do. And those parents are getting frustrated with that. So we need to find a way of getting strength versus strength. And it might not happen in the next year or two, but hopefully over time, we can sort of get that going. But in saying that, you know, the great clubs want these good 17, 18 year olds because they also need them because the great comp isn't strong enough. So it's a bit of a balancing act and I don't know who's going to win the arm wrestle. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, so I heard that you didn't originally start as a spin bowler and you're quite, quite well known for your spin bowling. So how did, how did that come about and how did you switch over to, to off spin? Yeah, for probably two years before the actual change came, I sort of started messing around with it a little bit in the net. So I was about 21, 22 and, you know, sort of having it in the in the background in case a wicket spins late on day four. Um, but yeah, up until then, it was purely just seam bowling. So uh, probably a, a fun fact is in my first ever T20, I opened the bowling with Makai and Tini, bowling seam. Um so yeah, that, that was a nice one. And then I think it was about 23 that I had a back injury and I played with Mark Boucher, Justin Kemp and Mickey Arthur was our state coach. And the three of them said, you know, you can change your action and stay medium pacer or, you know, probably be a bit risky and bold, but, you know, why not change the spin? Because there's not many spinners in South Africa at that stage. You know, it was Nicky Buyer, a little bit of Paul Harris, but, you know, there's a big opportunity. Um, and that's where it came about. It was about 23, maybe into 24, um, my age group, age. And, you know, took the chance. And it was a great move, you know, to, to change, to spin. Um, obviously, I still think, you know, if I stayed in medium pace, I probably would have just played better first-class cricket. Um, I wasn't quick enough to, you know, play an international. Maybe with T20 coming out, I you know, could have learned some skills to to try and play in different franchise tournaments, but I don't think I would have played a lot of international cricket, if any. No, stuff Glenn McGrath and Brett Lee opening the bowling. We got Natini <laughs> and both. Uh, <laughs> I was I was only bowling like one twenty eight to one thirty one, so I was gentle medium um, <laughs> compared to those guys. So everyone just wanted to smack me. Yeah. <laughs> Makaya was bowling, uh, Nati was probably bowling about 110, so you got him covered. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seemed like a risk that paid off, didn't it? it? Yeah. Brilliant how things work out like that. But 2nd of January 2006, you made your test debut against Australia at the SCG. Um, so do you remember much from that match? And, and if so, what, what do you remember? Um, not really, I, I must say, you know, the, there's not a lot I remember. I, I know it was, it happened very quickly. You know, I've sort of flew in, I think the 28th of December. Um, I think Australia wow. had won the first two tests. And I think South Africa just wanted to, to try something different. And I'd only been bowling spin for a year at that stage. Um, so things happened very quickly and um, flew into Sydney, you know, basically three days later, or actually flew to Melbourne, met the team there, spent a day and a half with them at the test, fly to Sydney, New Year's there, and then the next day you start playing. So 
things happen very quickly. And, you know, looking back with all the hype and all the buildup around test cricket these days, I certainly missed the ball there. I didn't think it was such a big deal. I thought it was, you know, just another bit of an extension of a four-day game and um, just playing against the best players in the world. So that was basically it for me. I, you know, within the game, um, I know I faced Shane Warne first up coming into the to, into bat. Um, and I know he made, it, he made me wait for about five minutes before I faced the first ball. So typical game play. Stood at the back of his mark, threw the ball up a few times, and he made like he was going to come forward to bowl, and he stopped, and he called Ricky Ponting over, chatted for about another two minutes, and then he walked into bowl. So, you know, that's something that that sort of stood out. Um, Bowling-wise, not a lot. I, I, you know, bowled, obviously, to the Australian top order. Ponting made 200s in the game. Um, God, Hussey is my, as my first wicket, and Hayden in the second innings trying to hit me into the rugby stadium. Um, when a, when <laughs> Australia... Yeah, when Australia only needed about 15 to win. So, yeah, I, I, we, we, we probably chanced to arm a little bit in, in the third innings. We declared short because the whole day was lost to rain. And um, I think we only left Australia 270 on a very good wicket still in about 80 overs to try and force a result. And like I said, Ponting batted while Hayden, he must have made 80. Um, and yeah, they knocked it off. They knocked it off two down. You remembered a lot then from that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just came back. Yeah. Um, what What was it like facing Shane Warne? That must have been such a scary thing, maybe? Yeah, it was. I think, you know, all the build-up. But like I said, you know, I probably didn't think too much about it. I didn't overthink it. I didn't, you know, overplay it too much, I think, in my own head. It wasn't like couldn't sleep for since I got the call in South Africa. I, I was sort of okay with that. I thought, you know what, let's see what this is about. Um, and, and quite often in debuts, you probably play almost your best because you just keep it so simple. There's no preconceived ideas. You don't get ahead of yourself or, you know, you're playing well and, and you sort of expand your game too early. It was real basic. I, I remember I was batting with probably 9, 10, 11, made maybe 20 not out and we declared at sort of nine for 450 callus and prince both made hundreds um and yeah so didn't overthink it really and, and then with the ball you know the only thing was if you made a mistake you know ponting and and those guys were in the you know, prime of their careers and, and they put you on the pressure so if you missed they they scored um, when four-day cricket in, in domestic four-day cricket, you can probably get away with it a little bit. You know, if you bowl a bad ball, it not, doesn't always go to the boundary. But against the best in the world, if you do, if you did miss, it did go, you know, to the boundary. Yeah. Um, was it Graham Smith still uh, captain at that stage? Yeah, Graham was captain. Yep. Um, AB opened the batting at that stage. He was still young yep. in the team. I'm not sure it was three. Oh, Callis three. Um, I think Prince was five. I'm not sure who four was. Yeah, no, because I was just going to say, yeah, Graham, uh, you were on there. I think he declared a bit too soon. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, like I said, we had to make something in the game. And Callis and Prince, you know, they didn't make quick unders. They would have probably mm -hmm. taken 240, 50 balls each. Um, so we batted well into day two, probably tea time day two. So we thought we were setting the game up well. And then... Australia started batting and then the whole of day four rained out. So yeah. 
you know, we were just batting again and had to force something and declared, you know, pretty, not an easy declaration, but a lot had to go our way. We had to get ball, wickets with a new ball and which we didn't. And then, you know, two good players got in and we just couldn't stop them. So what was next? So after that, what came next in your career? Um, well, there was a, what, that triangular series straight away and Sri Lanka were, were the other team in, in the comp. But in that first test, I got reported for my action. Um, and yeah, that was sort of out of nowhere. You think, oh, I've only done this for about 10, 11 months and all of a sudden there's an issue. But, you know, in hindsight, it's probably a good thing because I just started. I could change things pretty easily. So my spin bowling action at the start obviously wasn't great, but it was basically a seam bowling action with a bit of spin thrown in there. So it wasn't the conventional Nathan line, you know, perfect seam over the top and the ball's spinning square every ball. But, you know, all of a sudden from a test debut, a few one-day games because the testing um, took probably two weeks. So you had to go to Perth. Then it takes them about 10 to 12 days to get all the results. And while they're calculating all of that, you're allowed to play. So I could still play in the one day as till Hobart. We lost in Hobart to Sri Lanka, so we didn't make the finals. And at that game, the results came out. So from, you know, a few wonder games in India in November, Test Day in Australia, the few games in that triangular series, and then all of a sudden out the international scene for 18 months. Um, and it wasn't so much, you know, because testing took so long or to fix my action took so long, but you at the scene for six months, you fall back in the queue and then yeah. you got to start again. Two or three players come past you. Um, and then you've got to build it up again, show everyone, you know, your action is fine. Um, and yeah, like I said, it probably took 18 months to, to get back into international cricket and, you know, it was sort of, it never went away from there. You know, there's always someone in the crowd, always someone in opposition that make a comment or, you know, want to put you off your game. And that never left till, you know, the end of my career. Um, and I thought sort of the last four or five years of my career was probably at its best. Um, just spent some time with the South African analyst in Adelaide. I think it was around 2014. They were here for a T20 series i already been in australia for two years and uh, indian guy and one day I basically said to him i'll come pick you up at the hotel um let's have a chat let's work things out you know i'm, I'm done with trying to prove to people about my action and he had some good points um and it worked brilliantly and since then i felt my action was the best but you know, people still made comments and you just had to live with that. And that's why now it gets frustrating when young guys sort of get put into that position. So it doesn't get sorted out before they get to professional cricket. Because once you're in the limelight and the cameras are on you, it's difficult to get away from it. So that's sort of where we need to be better at that. Um, you know, get to guys when they're 15, 16 and not let them get to a rookie contract or a professional contract and then all of a sudden get ripped out the game because that that's you know the hard way around and you're missing part of your career yeah how did that feel with like the people and the players like as you said it didn't really go away and how did it make you feel 
Yeah, oh, it really got frustrating at times because, you know, I wasn't trying. It didn't, it didn't help my bowling at all, really. You know, I didn't spin the ball more. I didn't bowl quicker. I didn't, there was no mystery to it. So it's not like, you know, I can, because of that, do a carom ball or something like that. Um, so, yeah, it got frustrating at times. But then, you know, after a while, you just got to deal with it. And you can't let the opposition see that it affects you, even though it does. And, but you just got to stay as strong as you can, focus on the game, whatever's ahead of you, um, and play the game. And, and, you know, throughout, probably from 2008 to, say, 2014 those six years it took a lot of work you know you're always when there's a highlight on somewhere or you see a replay of a wicket you always look at your action or I did and I thought what did that look like you know what does anyone the match referee or the umpires think um so probably that 2014 you know when I had a chat to Prasanna the South African analyst and since then I wasn't worried at all you know even when I didn't play for six seven months throughout the middle of the year when I only played big bash I knew when I came back that the groove was there and I could just compete where before that it wasn't just always competing you're always worried about what if or could have or you know do you get pulled out the game again and obviously these days if that happens I think twice you could miss for 18 months just straight away about mm. two years um so yeah it wasn't like you could go away, fix it, come back, go away, fix it. Now, these days, I think if it's two strikes, it's two years out, out of the game. And, and what was your process like? What process did you have to take and what did you have to follow to redo your action? What was that step-by-step step like, I guess? Yeah. Um, so that would have happened late February 2006. Um, and, you know, straight away, I said to our South African bowling coach, I'm just going to leave it. You know, I'm just going to leave it for a few months. We probably had about six weeks of our South African domestic season to go. And I went back and played just as a batsman. And I said to him, I'm just going to leave it for, for the next six weeks. And then when the season ends, we'll get together. Um, and he lived in Cape Town. I lived in Port Elizabeth. And the Sports Institute was in Cape Town. And probably from late April or early May, I would fly to Cape Town probably every three weeks. So fly there, put on all those little silver balls, um, come up as a skeleton on the, on, the, uh, on the computer screen, do all the measurements, you know, calibrate, try things. And then if we found something or we thought we found something, I would go away for the next three weeks, work on it, come back and see if it's made a difference. So it was sort of back and forwards for, wow, three or four months. And wow. Cricket South Africa was great in, in that whole process because, you know, that bowling test isn't cheap. You know, if you go to anywhere in the world, I think it's 5,000 US for a, for a test. So you got to be sure when you go there to the real test that you're good to go. Um, but, you know, University of Cape Town, Cricket South Africa, they were great in that whole process. So tried things, tested it, go home, continue bowling, um, go back to Cape Town and just like little tweaks along the way. And we got through that, you know, for the next probably three or four years, there were a couple of whispers now and then. We would just make sure, have a retest. No, no, all still good. Um, 
Yeah, so it was just that for probably four or five years, just back and forwards, make sure that keep your nose clean. You don't, you know, try something silly in a game or trumble something that you haven't practiced. Um, you know, no top spinners, no doozers or whatever. Don't try and be funky. You just want to basically stay in the game. So that's what, what it got down to. Um, and yeah, sometimes it probably took away from that competing bit a little bit because you're so worried about how it looks. Um, but yeah, it definitely was a character builder over that time. And, you know, to become captain later, it certainly helped my, my sort of character, my career, because by that time, I knew my own game so well that I didn't really have to focus a lot on that. So I could spend more time around the team and make sure everyone else is okay. Um, but yeah, before that, it might've been a bit of a different story because you're so caught up in your own game and what it looks like and how's your own form but going through all of those bowling issues it certainly helped me sort my own game out and then once you know three years later when I became captain I was in a way better space to you know manage both you know that is, that is just a great insight on what a player has to go through through the testing and not not many people would understand that really like yeah wearing those silver balls and so it was great that cricket South Africa and everyone helped you um, with great support. That was fantastic. Yeah, no, those, those, you know, and those reflectors, it, it doesn't just get put on in random places. It's a whole calibration. Oh. It takes probably two hours to get them all in place, wow. you know, like sticky tape. And it's got to be on certain tips of joints, mm. um, your hips, your ankles, your knees. So when you come up on the computer screen, it's basically just the angles that you see. Um, so yeah, it definitely took time. It, it was a whole day process. And, and that's why, you know, I can understand why it's so expensive because, you know, there's scientists there, there's, you know, people all around, camera, um, you know, the ball even has to have some of those little reflectors on it because it needs to be the speed that you bowl in the match, it needs to have the revolutions on it. So you can't just bowl a little straight sweat band swingers you've got to still spin the ball like you do in a match and you've got to bowl the same pace because i think a few of the the more well-known guys got clever with that and they bowled probably 10k slower when they went to a bowling test and got through it and then in the game back to 95k an hour yeah uh, you're talking about there uh, <laughs> but yeah um do you ever thought i'm just not gonna bowl like or i'm not gonna bowl spin after going all through that oh yeah, there were probably a couple of times where you think maybe I should just bat, you know, just mm. bat. And, but then again, you're giving up any chance to play franchise or international cricket. You know, then you're basically saying, I'm just going to try and become a, a decent first-class batter, um, giving up all the opportunities. Um, and I suppose that's not my character. You know, I always wanted to, to play against the best, prove myself against the best. Um, even though it took the long way around um, with plenty of obstacles, but, you know, I'm happy I did uh, take it all on um, go through two or three bowling tests in my career. And, and that's a different pressure. You know, it's different to competing against a battle on the big stage. You're basically bowling for your career. If you fail the test, there you go. And even those rules got changed over the years. You know, when Murley finished, the rules quickly changed. There was no more average of 15 degrees. Then all of a sudden, if any ball was over 15, you were banned from bowling. Where before that, 
I'm sure he had a couple of 18, 19s, but he also had a couple of seven and eights. And then it averaged to under 15. As soon as he retired, that, that rule changed. And I suppose, you know, it put me under pressure, but it really hurt Saeed Ajmal because he was the one, the next one was yeah. three, 300 plus test wickets that they make, made a big example of. And, you know, they didn't want to do that to Murli with 800 test wickets. So as soon as he stopped, Saeed was the next one under pressure. And, you know, unfortunately, his average wasn't under 15. And he had to change his action. And, you know, he was never the same bowler after that. Very good point you made there. So he's a very good bowler. And, yeah, very good point. Yeah. And you did mention before about becoming captain and how, you know, it all kind of didn't matter as much after that happened and he didn't overthink it. So what was becoming the T20 and ODI captain like and how much did that mean to you? Yeah, again, it was a bit of a surprise. You know, again, sort of it happened very quickly. Um, Obviously... Oh, no, obviously, I, I did a little bit sort of through school, that South African schools team. Then you're a young guy in a professional setup and it sort of goes away for a while because you're the youngest in the team and it just doesn't go your way. You know, you, they don't make 18, 19-year-olds captain. Um, so then you just become a player again. And then probably, uh, say, 2008 with the emerging team that used to tour Australia with um, sort of this... Australian emerging team, South African emerging. I know there was an Indian team um, and New Zealand. For one of those two, as they made me captain, and also out of nowhere, I'd not been captain for four or five years in in any form of cricket. Um, And there were good players on that team. Um, And I thought, you know what? Geez, that's a bit of a surprise, but I'll do it. Um, It's great experience. We've got a good team, so it's easy to lead. You know, you had Vernon Philander, Mornay Morkel, Friedel de Vett, um, Justin Ontong, Robin Peterson. So you had plenty of good players to help out. And I thought, you know what? I'll take it on. I'll do it. Um, so that was a, a nice intro. We, we played really good cricket. Um, and then that was probably sort of July, August. And then that December is when Graham broke his hand in Sydney. Um, when Mitchell Johnson hit him on his, on his left or his top hand, so his right Mm. um, hand, and broke his hand in in the third test. And, you know, it was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, it was a surprise that they sort of, all of a sudden, I just flew in two or three days before again for the ODI series and T20s, and all of a sudden you're captain against Australia. Um, And, yeah, that that happened very quickly. Um, And, yeah, sort of didn't overthink it because it, you know, he didn't have a long, a lot of time to think about it, but we lost it to T20s. And then all of a sudden there's a couple of doubts, you know, are oh, you the right guy? How's this one day series going to go? Um, you know, what is it going to look like? And, and, you know, we, I don't know, we pulled out all the stops. We, you know, had two record chases, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, and we won the series 4-1. So, you know, it was, it was a nice one to, to get right in the end. Um, against a very good Australian team. Um, you know, Warner, Marsh, Hussey, Ponting, Clark, Simons, I think, still played. So a very good team. And I don't know, things just clicked for us. Our top order just made, you know, good runs, Gibbs, Callis, De Villiers. Um, and we just competed very well. We somehow restricted Australia to manageable scores and our batters just stood up and chased it. 
Thanks for reminding me of that series. I was trying to forget <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, Thanks for mentioning Philander. I still have nightmares about that guy. <laughs> yeah. You guys were a great team then. And yeah, like I said, so you had those guys. So yeah, that would have made it definitely a lot easier. Yeah, especially in that emerging um, tournament because you're playing club grounds around Brisbane and early morning, Philander, Morkel, DeVette, they were a handful. So, you know, especially Vern. You know, when we've seen him in test cricket on good wickets, make the ball talk. And mm. on club wickets with the regulation, oh, it was a handful. Um, yeah, I, he would have been the player of the tournament easily. He would have got probably double the wickets of anyone else. Um, probably 20 plus wickets in five or six games. He wasn't really that quick. He could just get it. Not at all. No, hoop and um, no, just not, on not those spots. Yeah. Not at all. He just landed close to the stumps, um, almost yeah. like his left foot in front of off stump. And batters just got drawn into playing balls that they didn't always need to. And, you know, he was good at hitting off stump. But in saying all of that, he had close to 400 first loss wickets before he made his test debut. So he knew his game. It wasn't like a rookie that came in and no one knew about him. He always did the job in first loss level and he 100% backed himself. You know, that's one guy that did believe 100% himself. He thought, I belong in test cricket. Even probably at his debut, he would have thought that. Um, he was just that character, that very confident. And straight away, hit the ground running and, you know, he would have got probably 200, 300 first, um, test wickets again. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So when did your Australian move come into things? When did you decide to move over and why was it? Um, well, it sort of came on the back of BBL1. So I came over for BBL1 just for four games. Um, I think the South African team were playing test cricket at that stage. And I think Gary Kirsten was the coach, spoke to him, said, you know, there's an opportunity to play Big Bash. Four games before a one-day series, I think it was against Sri Lanka. Um, back in South Africa, and, and he said, yep, great idea, come and do it. And I met Darren Berry um, at the Rajasthan Royals probably two years before that, so he got me over to play for the Strikers, really enjoyed it, um, had a great time. We played some good cricket and, and just loved Adelaide. Um, and then Darren was just in my ear for probably the next three months. He said, yep, you've had a taste now, you need to come back, you need to come help me, because that was his first full season in charge. Um, and he said, well, I need some help on the field. Um, you guys should come over, you know, just do it for two years, you'll love it, whatever. Um, and yeah, that two, two years has now turned into almost 10. So yeah, it was a great move, you know, family-wise. Obviously at the start it was tough for my wife, Monica, and, and Austin, he was two and Ashley wasn't born yet um so for them too it was definitely harder because you know I come straight to a team straight into cricket um I finished at the T20 World Cup in Sri Lanka late September flew to South Africa three days later flew out to Australia and then two days later played my first shield game so once again as in my career things happened very quickly um but yeah the, you know, that's how it started, um, did two years, then took the option of the third. And then at the end of the third season, the lady at the immigration said, well, you're so close to um, citizenship now. 
why don't you just stay for another year? So in that time, I signed with the Sixers and um, Austin went to school around that time and, and we just liked the way school was over here. Um, and just living here was great just to, you know, for family, for safety. Adelaide's a great place to live. Um, and yeah, everything just worked out well and, and you know, here we are still. Uh, very biased, but the Adelaide Strikers, the best team in Adelaide <laughs> City. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about what playing, uh, being involved in the first Big Bash season was? Because what's well, been going for 11 years now, it's such a, a big thing within Australia and Australian sports. So what was going into it, having no clue what was going to happen or what it was going to be like? What was that like? Um, well, we sort of had a little bit of an idea when it was state-based, you know, the previous few years. Um, and certainly myself, I thought, wow, I'd love to be part of that comp one day. Um, and it happened very, very quickly because just because of my connection with Darren Berry um, and just because it was a two-week gap, basically, for me to come before a one-day series for South Africa. Um, so, yeah, once he, you know mentioned it I thought oh this is a great idea went to the South African management and they thought it was a good idea to prep for a series um and then once I was yeah wow what a place to play especially you know my first game was Adelaide Oval sort of the old Adelaide Oval with the the red Sedan Bradman stand um those two chapel sort of tented stands on the far side yeah um and a great place to play and and enjoyed it I don't think I played many well, in four games, I wouldn't have played many away games, but I reckon I only played one and I played mostly at home. And that was great. I think it was one down in Hobart. Um, and yeah, really loved it. We, you know, enjoyed the setup, um, the coaching staff, the management. Um, and it took a little bit of thinking after that to, to come back. You know, I was playing international cricket. It was not like I wasn't at all in, in the setup. I was playing for South Africa, I was going to teach you in the World Cup. Um, but yeah, sort of got criticized a bit in South Africa for, for making that move. But, you know, we're happy with that move and we'll stick with it. And obviously we've, we've enjoyed it and, and we've settled well and, you know, met, met some good people in Adelaide. And, you know, I can't really see us going back to, to South Africa. Yeah, oh no, it was fantastic. Um, I heard you say... 10 years, literally 11 years. That was ages ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you did stick with the Strikers a couple of years after that. The Big Bash is, a, like I said, such a big thing. So what significance do you think it brought to T20 cricket? Yeah, I think every sort of country wanted their own brand and their own big comp. And I think, obviously, IPL and India have got it right. But the BCC have got the power there all international cricket basically goes to a halt and they've got the full window to have the best tournament in the world. And other, you know, countries have, have tried to, to, I wouldn't say copy that, but to try and get that formula right. And I, I certainly think Australia and Pakistan are the two that, that got it for me, you know, in different franchise tournaments. The CPL has been great too. I've been part of that a few times. Um, but certainly I, I think, BBL in the first five or six years when you had the top internationals here was a great product. And then, you know, I don't really know whose fault it was, but they probably got a bit greedy with it and just wanted to make it longer and longer and more games. And I think for the last four years, it's been too long. 
you know, to have the finals sort of in the second week of Feb, school's already back. I think it just it just missed the mark a little bit. Um, well, I can remember in those first four or five years, the final used to be basically on Australia Day. And, um, you know, that next week sort of school started again and it was done and dusted, where now you're not even at the finals yet when school goes, school goes back. So, you know, I, I think that's a little bit of a problem for the Big Bash. And the other one's probably we don't see the top international players playing in the Big Bash. Um, and I'm talking even Australian players, you know, all the test players, obviously on test duties over that time. And as I just said, India have got, you know, the full lot, everyone available, even international players for them. Um, their local internationals and international internationals, they're all available where I think Australia or the Big Bash in the last two or three years, it's become longer you know, the international players don't really want to come here anymore because they could go to the T10 in Abu Dhabi or to Bangladesh for a tournament half the length for probably double or not quite double, but more money. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd rather take that option and be at home for Christmas and New Year's than be in Australia for, you know, eight to 10 weeks and, you know, not get the same, same reward in the end. Yeah. yeah, do you think we could, um, on that, do you think we could maybe start the BBL, I don't know, start of November, middle of November, and then um, the finishing I don't in know. January? I, I think the way that the product sort of developed or started over the years was always that sort of week to nine days before Christmas was the first games. And that was, you know, when holidays started. And you knew, and mm. even as a player, every night there's going to be a game on. So when you're not playing, you're watching it. Um, and, and that was a great thing. When you go somewhere or you're at home, you quickly put on the TV, see who's playing tonight, what's happening in the game, catch a few highlights, where now there's just so much. It's the same as IPL. You know, it's, I listened to a highlight this morning. They're not even close to the playoffs yet, and they've already been there for six weeks. Oh, wow. Um, so it just gets longer and longer. And, you know, it sort of gets to that stage where you can miss the middle two weeks and you can just catch up later. And I think that's where you don't really want the product to go. You want people watching and invested every single night. Well, I think now it just gets too long and people go on holiday for 10 days and we'll watch again when we get back where I feel in those first four or five years, it was bang, eight games, group stages done, semi-finals final you get the winner and that all happened in about five to six weeks we're now in in six weeks you don't even you're not even at the playoffs yet mm. so yeah, it just gets dragged out a bit yeah, yeah that no, it's is very a, good point there yeah it is it is a, a, a bit of a topic at the moment isn't it because like you said it's, it it's too long and and a lot of people like most people agree and even like I've you know I've been watching it since I was very very little and um I'm now at a point where it's just like oh you know is it over yet which I don't I shouldn't have to do because I love cricket yeah um um, I mean the IPL as well they have all those players but the 100 as well you know they had um over in England so they that started up last year they had Joe Root Ben Stokes like everyone played in that tournament um and that went for about a month and that was it a month in august 
there was a game on every night and they got it over and done with. I think Australia does need to take some hints from some other countries and just get it condensed down because it is, and they try to incorporate the um, the rules like the X factor and the, um, yeah. all those things to try and make it a bit more interesting rather than just putting it back to its original state. Yeah, but I think on Josh's point before, I probably didn't answer it then, was to start earlier. But the WBBL is such a good product now mm-hmm. that you've got to give them their window too. And they sort of October, November. Yeah. And then there's a little bit of a break. And then the men sort of start mid-December. Yeah. Um, where the, the women's game has obviously taken off. And it's a very good product, very good tournament. And that's probably the best tournament in the world at the moment. You know, women's specific tournament um i think it's better than the one in england um and the top international women want to come and play here where i'm not quite sure you get the same anymore with the men you know you don't see the, the top top men in the world sort of jumping out to come play if they come it's maybe for a two or three week little stint in the middle but you don't see them for the full 10 weeks yeah with the sixes like steve smith with the one day series getting cancelled and then um, Steve Smith wasn't able to play, which because of the ruling and a bit, but it was a disappointment because it was just like, yeah. oh, we'd love to go see Steve Smith play T20 cricket. Yeah. And he plays in RPL and he plays in tournaments like that, but he can't play in his own tournaments in the big bash because of a silly rule. And you're right. That would have drawn, I'm sure, not maybe just to the SCG, but it draws viewers to the game. You want to see what Steve Smith's going to do back in the BBL. I was at the Sixers for three years. I didn't play one game with him. Wow. And, you know, Nathan Lyon used to come back. I never played with Hazelwood, never played with Stark. Um, who else was there? You know, Michael Clark, David Warner. Warner wasn't always with the Sixers. He wasn't with the Sixers. He was with the Thunder, but never played against him in a, in a BBL game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of, leaves a little bit of gap in the BBL that you can't have those top, top international players because they they go straight from the test um, summer into the one days and, you know, you just don't don't get them to to play in the in their home T20 tournaments. That is the, the disappointing side of it is, you know, you've got no Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, David Warner. But on the other hand, like you said, there is in the WBBL, Meg Lanning, Elise Perry, Alyssa Healy. They're always been in it. And I think that is... Yeah hopefully what's drawing more attention to the WBBL is the fact that they have got all these top tier national players playing. Um, and, and then again, like it's the whole situation about, well, it does clash. The BBL does clash with the Australian summer of cricket. So there possibly can't be anything that can be done there because they're always going to be out playing for their country. So yeah. it's one of those things where we just don't, don't quite know what the way around it is at this stage. Unless when that test summer finishes, say mid January, for those next two weeks, it's BBL for everyone. So mm-hmm. all those top players, like a Hazelwood, who hasn't really been bowl- like playing a lot of T20 cricket, he now is one of the better bowlers in the RPL. He's done well for Australia in the T20s. And, you know, everyone is sort of thinking, oh, he's just a test bowler. We don't really know. Unless you open a gap there and for two weeks all those players come back and then the one day series sort of continues after that but again then an international team 
either have to wait in Australia for that time, especially now with COVID, because it's not so easy just to go back and forwards, mm. or it has to be a, a whole new team. You know, you play someone in the test series, that team goes home, and then someone else comes for the one days. Um, so, yeah, obviously it's a lot of logistics, but if you can, even if it's just a little bit of a boost late in the BBL to get all the test players back, um, just for 10 days or two weeks and the finals, that will already be make, make a huge difference, I think. Yeah, I definitely would, yes. yeah. So you played with the Strikers and then you played for the Sixers and then you played a little bit for the Hurricanes. So, you know, you did retire and then you appeared back for the Hurricanes again. What what was that all about and what happened there? Uh, um, uh, I sort of, when they had the four-day bubble year, oh, it would be two years ago now, when the Tasmanian team, so Jeff Vaughan was their coach and um, Ben Rora was their assistant. And I just helped him for five or six weeks and, you know, bowled a little bit in the nets, uh, helped out around the team. And then one day I walked a lap with Ben around the ground and he said to me, you know what, you still fit. Do you think you want to give it another go? And I, at first I thought he was just joking um, because Adam Griffith at that stage was at the RPL. You know, when the RPL was sort of split up, it played half the tournament, it got stopped because of COVID and then I went back later in the year. I think it was around October, November. And Adam was in, in the UAE. And two days later, I had a chat with him on Zoom Um said, yeah, I feel my body's good. You know, that sort of let me down a little bit two years before that. And I said, yeah, I'm good to go. And they didn't really have any spinners. Um, Obviously, the the bonus was I played for them for a season. So they knew what I would bring, skill set, whatever. And yeah, that's how it came about. Started training, but still kept it low-key. Didn't mention anything to any players um, and then early December it got announced when they finally sort of knew that Tim Payne was going to be in the test summer and I could replace him. Um, and yeah, came out, played, I think, another 60, 20 games. And uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> We're not going to see you pop up for any, anyone anymore? No, no, no. I'm done now. Now it's, now it's just running. It was a nice little cameo that we had there and probably weren't expecting <laughs> If we yeah, finish, but um, like, oh, both has both finished. Wait, no, he's not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I suppose another thing that played a little bit of part in that was two years before that, it was just because the tournament was so long, and I had to make a decision around late January do I take my first professional head coach role or do I continue for the last four games of the BBL? And at that stage, I thought, you know, coach my next step. Um, I didn't probably have much left playing and that's why I stopped and that was a bit of a surprise too because I stopped with four games to go, hurricanes, top of the table. I thought, no, they're in in a good place. Um, Spoke to the management and thought, you know what, I've got to give this coaching a full go and my first time as a head coach in the PSL. Um, So yeah, I suppose that pushed me a little bit when that opportunity came again, you know, 18 months later. It was just was I really happy to have finished the way I did? And probably not. You know, the idea would have been Australia Day final, get it done, and then move on to the PSL. But that tournament finished the 12th of Feb. So there was a there was a two or three game overlap with the PSL. And you know, I had to make a decision. And you know, that's the decision I made. Yep. Yeah. That's fair. Um, 
And what was the PSL experience like? I've loved the PSL. I think it's right up there with the best tournaments in the world. Um, you know, all their international players are available. Some really good internationals from all over the world want to go play there. The standard is excellent. The wickets are brilliant. Um, I think, to be honest, it's the best bowling competition in the world. Um, every team's got a very good bowling lineup. So if you look at teams there, they all seem to sign top quality international batters just to try and combat that. Because, you know, even from our team, we had Hassan Ali, um, Fahim Ashraf, um, Wakas Maksud, Shadab Khan. Um, so that was our four local bowlers. And then you get to Lahore Kalandas. I remember when we resumed the tournament middle of last year again, their first game back was Shaina Fridi, Harris Ralph, James Faulkner, Rashid Khan, and uh, another that DL who played for the Stars. Um, so that was their five bowlers. So every team has got a really good bowling lineup. And... Um, you know, I, I enjoyed the quality of the tournament. I was lucky to to get opportunity there while I was still playing. Um, Darren Berry couldn't go. And then Dean Jones asked me to, to join him as an assistant coach. Great experience. And then I did that for about five or six years and really enjoyed, you know, the tournament, the people, the culture. Obviously, that tournament was, you know, at times a bit under pressure because, you know, it had to be, held in the UAE because he just couldn't go back to Pakistan. But the last two, I went to Pakistan, still a great experience and um, high quality tournament. But unfortunately now with this school cricket, obviously term one is, is one of the important terms for, for Australian school cricket. I couldn't go in, the, in this last one. I probably won't be able to go for the, for the next few years. Well, it sounds like a like an incredible experience, really. You did a bit with the, the IPL as well. I, I played IPL. I never, I've never been coaching or as an assistant there. So mm-hmm. I played for Rajasthan Royals for about four years, one year with Delhi and one year with KKR. What was playing in the IPL like? Oh, huge hype. You know, especially in the early days, I was sort of the first full tournament was in India. Um, I didn't play in that one. In 2008 was the one that had to be held in South Africa. And I sort of came into the back end of that tournament. And then the next three were all in India, or the next five. But the next three for Rajasthan were all in India. Um, and great place to play. You know, back in those days, no crowd restrictions. So, you know, most nights sold out, um, huge hype, especially, especially in Jaipur. Because Rajasthan, Rajasthan was one of the smaller teams. And when we got a home game, there was such a big hype around town. It's not the biggest city in India, but an amazing crowd. Um, and we had a great time there. You know, met some some great people, um, played with some quality internationals, um, you know, played with Raul Dravid, played with Ross Taylor, um, Sean Tate. So I, I really played with some, some quality players around that time. Um, and then I suppose that's what the IPL has done. You know, not just for the Indian players, but for all international players to play with each other and to, you know, be on the road with each other it was a great experience. People, people don't realise just some of the crowds here in Australia are good, but the IPL is just next level, isn't it? Yeah. What, no, so- it's, it's crazy. You know, you get to the bigger grounds, 
Wankere in Mumbai or Eden Gardens in Calcutta and you know it's sold out and there's 70 80,000 all jumping screaming um where if, if you get to the MCG I remember that 2019 20s there were 80,000 people at the MCG and there were still big gaps in in the seating and you think oh there can't be too many in tonight and then it pops up on the scoreboard and it's 80,000 um and it's not as noisy because you know the people yeah watch the game it's not just mm. whistles and banging and making a noise um but yeah it's you know everywhere around the world to to get a, a sold out or a, or a big crowd was was great is it distracting you mentioned there with all the sound is it because it, it looks like i would be like i would not be able to focus yeah pe- people have asked me that or they talk about that and i think your your skills and your training that you put in over all the years sort of goes into autopilot and it just kicks in you know, you, you might think for a second, what if I do this or what if I miss a ball or, but the, the training, the autopilot just kicks in and, and you sort of put that out of your mind. You know, there's 60,000 in the crowd and there's 3 million watching on TV. What if I make a mistake? But you can't think that. You just got to compete against, you know, the opposition. If you're bowling against the batter and if you're batting, obviously whatever is bowling towards you, you just got to play to the best of your ability and you can't be thinking who's watching or all of that stuff. And what if I make a mistake? You just got to all the years of training, let that happen. And, and hopefully, you know, you've done good enough training and that just kicks in and, and you, you know, perform well enough. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great way to look at it. So what would be your favorite format that you've played and why? Um, it's got to be one of the two white balls. Uh, probably T20. You know, it's it's given me a lot. I played in all kinds of tournaments with against um, so many different players. Um, we won the cricket. It's basically state level or international cricket. And in, even in international cricket, it's a series versus a team, and you don't really mix during a series. You might have a chat afterwards. Um, but yeah, Test cricket is. Obviously, a lot of players say the ultimate. I only played five tests um, and never played one in South Africa. That's sort of the one thing that I wish I could have done um, was play a test match in South Africa, but all mine were on the road. Um, but yeah, T- T20 would be mine. You know, I played that the most and, you know, played pretty decently, at, you know, at it. Um, but yeah, T20 for me. Long answer for T20. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favourite teammate that you've ever played alongside? Uh, Ross Taylor. Favourite South African teammate? Uh, more name Walker. Gentle just, giant. Just, yeah, just, just for value, for funny, for... I, I, it just worked out. We played three years together at Rajasthan. We played together the year at Delhi. We were together at KKR. It just worked out. We played so much together. Um, but Albie was actually, his brother was our age. So I, I played under age cricket with Albie and Mornay was always the young one. But then when he came into the setup, we just got along very well. Who, who was the annoying one? Makaya. <laughs> <laughs> Loud, noisy. Um, always, no up to, <laughs> always up to something. You just got to watch him. You can't keep get him out of his sight because... <laughs> Yeah, 
a bird will go missing or something will be gone or just noisy. <laughs> now, do you have just a favorite cricket memory that one that will just always stick with you? Debut is a good one. I always say that to people, every debut is something that you've got to remember. You know, these days you make a lot of debuts. If you're lucky enough to play franchise cricket and all around the world. But I always say that you only get one debut. doesn't matter which team you play for, you get one debut. And you just got to, I say to young kids or whenever I'm in a team, today don't worry about the outcome. You know, just enjoy the process, the debut. You can worry with results and scores and averages from game two. But in your debut, just try and stay in the moment, enjoy it, because you only get one of them. And, you know, whatever team, whatever format, you get one debut. Even if when I went back to play club cricket, you get one debut. And, you know, that that's it. Yeah, very, 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 very good point. Very good point. <laughs> um, we like to um, wrap up our interviews by just some quick fire. This or that question. Sure. So, you've already answered this one, T20 or Test Cricket? Um, uh, my skill set, T20s. Yeah. Um, comedy or horror? Comedy. Comedy. Horror's not getting any love. No. I, I love horror. <laughs> it's just not getting any love. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> morning or night? Morning. Morning. Real early mornings. Yeah, <laughs> with the running, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, very early. So important one here, strikers or sixes? Uh, sixes. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd test you there. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed both, but, yeah, you know, I had a really good time at the sixes. Yeah. Um, Oh, both actually. You know, I, I can't yeah. really pick one or the other. I've yeah. played some good cricket at the Strikers. Um, Sixers was a little bit up and down. We had a good one season. Next season we were poor, and then we had a, my third year there was was better again. So, but we never made the playoffs when I was there. So, yeah, little stat there. I did not know that. <laughs> and plus, it's the magenta too. It is quite a good Guernsey. Um, the Wander <laughs> the Wanderers Stadium or Adelaide Oval. Adelaide Oval. Very, very good oval there. Um, I, I would love to go over to South Africa and experience the stadiums. It will be good. Um, chocolate in the fridge or pantry? Uh, pantry. Pantry. Yeah, there we go. Good. <laughs> Hitting three sixes in a row or take a hat trick to win a game? Oh, a hat trick. Hat trick to win a game. Yeah. Yeah. So hat trick is more. Oh, three sixes now. It's hard. It's, they're both hard to do, but hat I mean, trick I feel, would be I feel good. like a hat, a hat trick would kind of stay on your record a bit more. You're known more yeah. for taking hat tricks rather than hitting sixes. So. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> I couldn't hit the ball, ball far enough. Fun fact I played in a T20 game for Mosman in Sydney, my first game there before the sort mm-hmm. of BBR for the sixes. Played a, a, a great game for them, T20. And you're talking about hat-tricks and stuff. Um, got a hat-trick and a fifer in the first innings. So, Oi. And, and then 100 not out to win the game. 
Oh, oh my goodness. wow. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's a great, that's yeah. a dream all round performance. Yeah. That is a dream performance. It will never happen again for me. <laughs> no, just, I, oh, I would have been right after that. <laughs> Yeah, and, ne- and never will get close again or got close before that even. So, yeah, just worked out. Just had a great day. You know, I bowled the last over of the inning. So, had two wickets and then I had to go for it. So, you get three in a row. And then with the bats, you know, couple, I think I got dropped once and then things just go your way. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah, what a game. <laughs> But that brings us to the end of our questions. We really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to us. So thank you. Not a problem at all. Thank you, guys. They both went up and the finger as well. So there it is. Johan Guata in his last over has struck. He's smiling again. He's picked up his second. One more left in his spell. So what an interview. That was um, pretty amazing to hear his real journey through um, having to get tested for his bowling action. I think that's something that you see quite often in in players, but you never actually hear what they go through and what the process is when you have to alter your action. So that was super interesting to hear his insight on how he had to change his action a bit there. Yeah. And it's interesting because what you go through and what I asked him was, do you ever think stuff it because of how much work and how much science is behind it and it might not work for you. Mm. So it's great that he didn't give up and he pushed through it and just got there in the end. And he had a great career. He had a fantastic career. You don't see it a lot these days with the changing actions and everything. Chris Green went through it. I remember Arjun Nair, he got banned for his bowling as well. Another Thunder player. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what happened after that, actually. That's something we'll have to look into. But look, it was brilliant to hear Johan's opinion on what it's like as a professional cricketer and to hear and to hear a perspective from a, a yeah. national captain as well was yeah. pretty incredible. He's played with some of the absolute legends of South African cricket and to be recognised as a captain himself along some of those names, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it was a privilege to hear him speak about it, actually. So it was really good to listen to. It was. And yeah, like we said, great guy all round. He's mm. super lovely and entertaining. And he told us some fun facts in there and some stories. So <laughs> that was, it. yeah, it was, it was great. Um, but yeah, that was our interview with Johan Bota. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, next week, we do have another guest. So I did another solo interview. I chatted to Tom O'Connell, who plays for Victoria and the Stars. And he actually went to my school. So um, I, I kind of knew knew of him through school. But he's now off in Victoria pursuing his cricket career. So I chatted to him about uh, what it was like to finish year 12 while playing professional cricket, which was super interesting to hear his perspective on that and we do talk about lots of other big bash things so that's a super interesting one that is all for this episode if you enjoyed it you can give us a follow on instagram or twitter at how's that tcp or you can send us an email at how's that the cricket podcast at gmail.com but that is all from me this week that's all from me guys you missed the